Hey, good morning and welcome to another episode of Generation Education. Today we're going to discuss uh, teaching with centers and small group learning because sometimes whole group learning just isn't going to cut it and we need to focus it, focus it to student-centered activities. All right, Mr. Heater, let's dive right into this because I feel like this is going to be a really uh, good and long podcast. Um, we have a lot to say on this one, uh, diving into the multiple subjects of where you can do centers and some small groups. So, Mr. Heater, why should teachers be doing small groups? Why should teachers be doing learning centers when you can just deliver instruction in a whole group format or a lecture? So why why are we doing this? I would say like the shortest and most obvious answer here is kids like to talk, so let them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, from whenever I was teaching, a lot of the times like standing in front of the room and you know, back turn of the kids where you're writing on the board for those few minutes or going through and watching videos or PowerPoints or whatever. And the number of heads that were falling down and resting on the desk and the number of kids that looked like they wanted to throw something at you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after enough years of doing it that way, like I just figured there had to be a better way to do it. Um, so we started going through and kind of tweaking different things here and there and starting off kind of small. Um, but on kind of a more serious note, like the main idea behind this is it gives kids more of an individual learning. Uh, it gives you the ability to help pre-teach things that helps you reteach things better. Uh, provides a lot of the kids with more confidence. Cause if we're going to be honest here, a lot of the kids in whole group that are a little more successful are the ones who are a little louder. So the kids who are a little more reserved are going to not get quite as much out of that because they're afraid to ask questions and things like that. So it helps a lot of those kids that are a little more passive kind of get a little bit more of a voice in the classroom. So kind of switches it from going from passive learning to you're putting your own hand in an active learning for this. So it allows you to discuss things. And just overall, I think it provides a better learning experience. It makes the classroom more of the kid's classroom rather than your classroom. Exactly. So we're, we're going to focus it to the fact that it needs to be student-centered. I mean, we can't be delivering instruction based on everything we're doing. You know, there is a time for that whole group. There is some time where some form, you know, providing to everybody some form of lecture, okay, but any prolonged period of lecture time, it just isn't going to work anymore. It's not the answer. It's not how kids truly learn. Um, I know both Mr. Heater and myself have had special education students in our classrooms, and we do really well with them because of our use of small groups and centers. So centers, I think we need to dive into what exactly centers are a little bit. And those are those things that actually allow you to differentiate the instruction. They should always be standards-based and realistically focus on instruction that has already taken place. So your centers are those things that you've already taught, that students kind of already have a grip of, and it's just something that's going to continue to reinforce strategies that they already know how to use, and it it just allows them to practice. They They work with their partners. They work with small groups. And that's something that they're doing independently or individually. When they're in centers, it allows you to pull your small groups. And when you have your small group, you can talk about, you know, where students are starting to lack some active or lack some strategies and lack some skills. And you can reinforce specifically what their needs are. And I love what you said about pre-teaching, because in a whole group format, you have a lot of those kids who you know, are used to being behind in everything or, you know, they're used to other kids always getting it before them. But if you pre-teach it in a small group setting, then they're hitting the ground running and they're actually ahead 
of some of the students who are usually, you know, the more gifted or, you know, get things a little bit quicker. So I think that's phenomenal, a phenomenal way to use small groups. Yeah. So like my biggest thing, whenever you're like, you're setting all of this stuff and implementing it, mm -hmm. it's kind of start off small with this. Like you don't need to dive in and do 20 different stations and kids everywhere and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Like start off with like, whenever you get finished with your whole group stuff or your independent work, like do a center to start mm -hmm. off with. And then as you go along and you get a little more comfortable with it and the kids kind of know what's going on with it, then you can go ahead and you can add it as part of the instruction and do start off with these couple centers and then transition them to another spot and things like that. So don't think of this as like getting all panicky and things like that because you've never done it before. Start off small, do one at a time, and then you can slowly build and add to that. I've had quite a number of years of doing this and a bunch of different groups that we've tried things out on. So it's definitely a trial and error. Some things are going to work better than others. So be okay with the failures that are going to happen mm -hmm. and just keep trying things again and again, which we've been kind of hitting and harping on that a whole bunch along with this as well. Yeah. Um, and I think just as teaching, it, it, there's always trial and error. You're always going to mess up a little bit, but you do what practices um, you know are proper and you do the practices that you know are necessary before you dive into it. Understand that, you know, you're not going to just run in with 20 centers and just the kids are going to know it. I love how you're saying start off small, just like we said in our technology podcast, start small, set your goals, temper your own expectations of what's exactly going to happen. And I, I think the other big thing with stations and centers and things like that is you have to kind of figure out what your goal for them is. Mm -hmm. So is the goal to give the kids an extension activity after they're finished with something? Is the goal to try and shore up some loose ends of maybe some skills that we've missed? So kind of think about like how are you going to group the kids, maybe what your centers are going to be about. So if it's a skill-based thing, like you can go through and you can break up into like a writing section, you can do a reading section, you can do like your adding and subtracting integers. So kind of think about what your station want to be, whether you want to make it a topic or whether it's going to be more of a you're breaking it up to provide more differentiation for different groups of kids. And kind of going along with that, too, like figure out like what groups work well together. Some kids just don't work very well together. So a lot of a lot of this trial and error is going to be not necessarily what you want the kids to learn, but who are the kids working with when they're doing this is another big part of this. You have to be thinking about the personalities and the ability levels. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about setting those expectations because you can't just hand a kid a center and say, okay, that, that's probably going to work. <laughs> so I know we've talked about setting expectations and in earlier podcasts, you have to lose ground to gain ground. Take time within you know your first couple of weeks in the year to set your expectations for um, you know what you want for centers. Or if you're trying centers out and it's later on in the year, take time out of a period to actually explain to students what your expectations are. So more than just explaining that, you need to model that. You need to show them specifically, exactly what you want them to do. Lay it out black and white. This is what I need you to be doing when I hand you the center. Because they're going to be having, you know, these are six to six-year-olds to 13-year-olds, depending on what age you teach, depending on what grade you teach, you're handing them time with a buddy. They could easily take that time and... I'm so happy they let us talk this class period. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, talk until lunch, pretty much. So you need to model exactly what you need. Then after you model it, you need to actually have them practice modeling it. So practice practicing exactly what you need from them. Um, and I recommend doing examples and non-examples. 
So say, hey, I need you to do this properly and then have them act out for the class what would be inappropriate for working in this center. So that way, you know, when things do happen, and they will, <laughs> they will, um, when they do happen, you can say, do you remember at the beginning of the class period when we specifically said not to do that exact thing? Well, no. you did it. <laughs> right. Well, they did it. So you have to go back and you actually have to explain clearly what your consequences are for when those things occur. Because like I said, it's going to happen. And I think kind of another thing with whenever you're starting off, especially at the beginning of this, timer is your best friend. Oh, yeah. And, and especially like whenever you're first starting off, like it's best to do less time than you think it's going to take. Mm -hmm. And you can always kind of fudge the numbers and add things on at the end. Mm -hmm. But if you have a timer up on the board and you still have five minutes left and kids are starting to lose their mind, okay, a lot of the times it's, it's a tough battle to go up there and try and like stop the timer and try and transition kids. Mm -hmm it's a little easier to go back and be like, all right, guys, I'll give you a couple more minutes to finish up here rather than go in the reverse with this. So use your timer. There are going to be some days we're going to use it more than others. So some days you might want the kids to kind of take the time and do all the stuff. Other days, it's going to be one of those things to like make sure they're moving and not just sitting there stalling at a station, especially in science. We have the issue a lot of times of kids get stuck at a spot because some stations are a little more fun than others. So sitting there just kind of playing with all of the materials rather than wanting to move on to the next spot. Yep. So um, so the whole purpose of these centers, I mean, you want them to be inde independently practicing these things or with their partners so you can have that small group time. Um, I'm going to talk about a strategy that I use when I had my small group time because when I'm with my small group of, of about four to five top six students, um, I wore a don't talk to me hat. I wore a specific <laughs> reminder, a visual for kids to say, you don't talk to me now. I These kids are my priority and you guys have your business to be uh, working on something. So they need to be well taught and know exactly what to do. And I think it really kind of builds those self-help skills for students. You know, when they do need to use the restroom, sign out on the board. Um, you know, and we can see how many times you use the restroom in that period or, you know, if, the, if something comes up, you know, the only reason that I should be interrupted when I'm wearing my don't talk to me hat and you're not sitting at my table working with me um, is if there's an emergency in the classroom. And, and I love the fact that you wear a Steelers hat to uh, make sure the kids aren't talking to you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it, it, that, that, this is one of those things that like I feel is like I need to implement because it is definitely an issue in a lot of our classes where you have that kid that's constantly coming over and badgering you for different things mm -hmm. every single time. So you're stopping your instruction with your small group to deal with this stuff. So that's kind of an easy little fix to solve one of the bigger issues with this uh, setup. Yep. All right. So let's dive into some subject material. So we kind of discussed the why and the how and, you know, what these centers and what the small group benefits are. So let's dive into some science right now. And then we'll kind of tackle on some reading in English and then some math together. So, Mr. Heater, um, what do small groups look like or what do centers look like in science? So for science, for me at least, um, like our SOL that we have that we cover, it has three years of material on it. So in three years, oh, that's it? <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of opportunity for some kids to get it and other kids to not have it. Some kids are coming from other school systems. So we have a lot of gaps and different things like that for a lot of kids, whether, you know, they're at the top of the chart or down toward the bottom and need a little bit of help. Like there's gaps everywhere for kids. So like it was not working for me as far as doing whole group, because some years I would have one group did phenomenally on a topic. The next year we were all the way down here. 
So we kind of started doing it more in science just because we had so many ability levels all over the place. So like what we typically do on like a, a normal day, like at the beginning of a topic we're covering, we'll go through and like I have all of my notes and things like that are basically videos now. So I've gone through and recorded myself through all the stuff. So we're doing an in-class flip with that. So the kids go through and they do the notes on their own while they're going through and doing that kind of stuff. I'll be going around and my aide or my special ed teacher will be going around and we can help those kids that need a little bit more help with that. And then after we get through that, we typically go through and we have some sort of an intro lab. And then we go have a vocab station. A lot of times it's like Quizlet or Quizlet Live or things like that. And then we usually have a center that's like an extension activity. And then kind of as we build through each unit, we kind of start spreading it out a little more. So rather than starting off with like the notes and then moving in, transitioning to the different centers, we kind of here are all of the centers that we're going to be doing today. You guys are going to work through these on your own. And again, a lot of the times we're going to just going to have a timer on the board for these. But usually one of them is some sort of a lab they're going to be working on. Um, a lot of the times there's going to be uh, group work. So we usually incorporate a lot of projects into that. A lot of the times those are choice boards that we have uh, pulled up. So they're going through doing lab, doing the choice boards. And then uh, usually there's some sort of individual practice thrown in there as well. So we have typically at least three stations running at all time. And depending on the day and what we're covering, things like that, like the number of stations will adjust and the time periods will adjust. Um, but some, some of my favorite things to do are like as far as one up, like the things we do daily would be things like our labs. Obviously, we do a lot of like online simulations that we have. So like FET labs are pretty cool to go through and work on. And then um, things that kind of happen a little less frequently, especially around like quiz and benchmarks and things like that. We'll do a lot of things like quizzes, GimKit, Kahoots. Uh, one of my new favorites is uh, Flippity Review Games. It's basically you build a spreadsheet and you can go through and like build Jeopardy boards and scavenger hunts and timelines and things like that with them. But like my thing with all of this stuff is if you need to kind of scaffold it a little bit for you, all of these things you're able to do whole group if you want to. And for some of my smaller classes, we do we end up doing that. But for a lot of my classes, like we go through and like, we have a team leader for each center, or each group, and they go through and like they run the game show and they go through and like they run the Quizlet Live and things like that. So just kind of giving the kids ownership of like the review games and the activities whenever they're going through and like building all these all the time. All right. Uh, Mr. Veter, you want to kind of lead us into uh, what does this look like in reading or English then? Absolutely, man. So um, reading, it's a major predictor of student success in schools. So schools put so much time and emphasis and resources into reading. And I'm going to kind of focus in on what this really looks like at the elementary school. And honestly, this could be adapted to truly work um, at the middle school. So here's what we had at the elementary school level. We had two full hours to fill with reading instruction. I can't even fathom what it would be like to teach two full hours of whole group lecture-based instruction <laughs> to a group of eight-year-olds. I mean, it, that just, it, it baffles me. So a, a big thing we did was we did have our whole group instruction. We did teach the strategies. We did teach the content and the SOLs to, um, you know, the crews that needed to be taught. But then we, you know, for the second half of it or the second uh, three quarters of my lesson, I would do daily five. So these daily five centers, it's just a fancy word for centers, really. Um, <laughs> the very first thing that is incorporated with daily five is something called read to self. 
Um, and that's, it's exactly what it says. Students pick a good fit book and they read to self. However, this isn't the same as just silent reading. Yes, you're expecting that they're silent, but you also need to uh, set the expectations that they're actually picking a good fit book. That's something that's going to challenge them. That's not too easy, but it's also something that shouldn't be frustrating to them that they're not even able to comprehend or understand what's going on in the book. Now, with Read to Self, you need to have accountability for that or else kids are going to be just staring at a book or they could just stare at a book for 30 minutes and then that's it. They could be dozing off. So you need to be really letting them know that, um, sorry, you need to just let them know, hey, there is accountability for this and they need to respond to some question after they read for the day. Um, the second major center of Daily Five is word work. Um, this is word work that's focused primarily on spelling. Um, students are breaking apart words. They're playing some games with the words. And there's a whole bunch of different games you can have them playing. They can do some tic-tac-toe things um, and just things they can, activities they can do with their spelling words. And something they can do with their spelling words and while they focus on writing is um, do some cursive practice. So they're practicing some cursive writing along with their spelling words. The third center that's uh, imperative for um, really all grade levels is work on writing. And this is something that should be fun for students. Um, it, it's as simple as provide them with prompts. Um, you know, who's your favorite superhero? If you had a superpower, what would that be and why? If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live and why? Just some really fun open-ended prompts for students to expand you know, create their topic sentences and expand on what their thinking is um, and what their details are. And, and I think that's a good point to have right there is it doesn't always have to be like, what is my SOL prompt going to be? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the times, like getting the practice in is just getting the kids started with it. So like it can be as fun as you want, mm -hmm. as long as they're reaching that end goal of going through and like building those different sentence structures and building the different paragraphs, things like that. Like if you're working on that skill, sometimes it doesn't really matter what the prompt is, as long as it's something the kids can write to, which I think is a good point to have here. Yeah. And also they're building stamina for when they are at the SOL level and they're writing paragraphs worth of things, you know, worth of, um, you know, their thoughts and ideas. So it, it really does help build stamina as well. And, you know, the product that you're checking then is whatever they wrote, whatever they wrote over possibly a whole week's worth of time. So you're not necessarily checking their work on writing every single day, but, you know, take a glance at it or, you know, collect it uh, every Friday. Um, the fourth center that uh, is really fantastic for elementary level, maybe not as much for the middle school level, is listen to reading or read with a buddy. And what this does is it helps build fluency and allows them to make that sight to sound connection within reading. Um, at the elementary level, this is so necessary because, you know, middle school, we're already comprehending things. We're already working on, you know, what, what was meant in this passage? What did the author mean in this, um, in passage, in paragraph number four? And in elementary, students need to know how to read fluently and, you know, with good pace, good intonation before they can even start to comprehend what it is they've read. And, the and that one right there, guys, like I, I will completely agree. Like typically this is more of an elementary school, but like you will still probably have some kids in your class every year that this will benefit as well. So if you have some struggling readers, like this isn't a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And every semester we've had a couple ELL kids in our classes where 
this is also not a bad idea for them too of hearing what those sound what the sounds are as you're going through and reading those words because they're not really all that confident in the language yet. So kind of breaking down that language barrier and helping them hear those sounds and connect to the words is honestly even a nice thing, even in middle school too. Yep. Um, and the fifth center of daily five is going to be the small group teacher time. That is the time with me. That's where I am wearing my don't talk to me hat. Um, that's where we're going over those new strategies or we're doing the, the pre-taught strategies. And so they're getting ready for the next day's worth of a whole group instruction. So that's daily five. That's really what it looks like in, um, in the English curriculum. And, you know, a lot of these can work really well in the middle school level too. I recommend them, but the absolute necessity is that you do set those expectations first and you expect a product at the end of every day or else it's as simple as, Hey, we got to talk until lunch today, or that was a fun 80 minutes of doing nothing. So you do need to be asking for those reading responses. I, I can't tell you how much it, it, it kind of does get under my skin when I hear that students were doing silent reading and it wasn't with a good fit book. Uh, it, it was with, you know, just some book that they were like, oh, yeah, this is a Dr. Seuss book. But they're a high reader who's 13 years old. I'm like, you shouldn't really be reading Hop on <laughs> Pop at this point. Um, so, I, you know, I need you to have a chapter book. Um, or also if I have a second grader who's kind of a lower reader um, looking at a Harry Potter novel, that's fantastic. And I want you to be inspired to get to that level. But I need you to be doing something more on on your level. And just kind of if you're checking to see if you can get your feet wet on this kind of stuff, things like incorporating vocabulary at the beginning, like that's an easy way to kind of get your foot wet, get your foot in the door here and start with some of these stations. Other easy ones to do for English would be things like book talks. So you go through and like maybe you want to do a whole group with everybody and then you can kind of break up and have the kids go to different spots to go through and maybe do like a writing part on the book and then a reading section on the book and you can go through and do vocabulary from the book. So you can kind of break it up and do the centers that way as well of start with the whole group and then break them off into their centers and give them so much time at each one as well. Other things that like work well that I'm going to talk a little bit more whenever we get to math here in a second is like if you have an online platform like Quill. So Quill is an excellent source to go through and practice different writing things. Okay. So those things you can implement as a station. So give kids 10, 15 minutes at a time as one of your centers. Okay. And then you can rotate them out, bring them over to your small group area. Okay. So just kind of different things like that, like use your resources you have with all this. Yep. All right. So we discussed the science. We discussed um, some English and reading. Heater, let's dive into some math right now to wrap up this podcast. And math is one of those things that like, this is where I truly fell in love with stations. <laughs> I had a, uh, an inclusion math class that we had 24 kids in it. And of those 24 kids, 23 of them were in a remediation math class as well. So we had the kids who were really far behind and were really struggling. And a lot of these kids like hadn't passed an SOL before and just didn't have a whole lot of confidence. So like what we started doing is I had an aide with me the last couple of years whenever I was at high school doing this. And we had them as one of the stations, we had them working on accelerated math and IXL because we had so many foundational skills that were missing. So they would go through and like use those as a way to go down to like third and fourth and fifth grade to get some of those skills built back up. And a lot of this was like multiplication, division, your integers. So adding and subtracting negative and positives. So things like that, like, 
the algebra part wasn't making sense to them because they didn't have any of the foundational skills to get them there. So we kind of went all the way back down to where they were and we started building them up with that. And then the other thing we did with math especially is we did a whole lot of uh, skill development stuff. So we would do like rather than doing the whole group standing in front and all the kids having their head on the desk, we did complete uh, small group uh, direct instruction with the kids. So I would have a group work with me for the direct instruction. Like typically this was like five, six kids or whatever. We'd have one group on their Chromebooks working on accelerated math or IXL. And then we typically had another group would be over working on a skill that we had already done, but that we weren't real confident in yet. We needed a little more practice to kind of hone in those skills. So we kind of did it that way and build it up just so we could get some of those foundational skills that kiddos were missing and get them up to where they needed to be. Right. And kind of like you said as well, I mean, this is where I really found a love for centers and just kind of saw that love in my students' eyes as well. Um, Towards the end of the year, as you're kind of getting so deep into your test prep, there are some students who do need to go back to those foundational skills and who do need to, you know, get better with just basic subtraction. And you're you're knee deep in SOL test prep. You know, it's time to go back and just say, guys, I'm going to throw out a center today. It's time for you to go ahead and hop into some subtraction center. And when I saw some relief in my students' eyes, they're like, oh my gosh, yes, I get to work with a partner on, <laughs> you know, borrowing and subtracting and subtracting across zeros. It was like a sigh of relief. And they're still test prepping. That's yeah. the beauty of it. They're still prepping for the SOL test, except they're actually, they're loving it. They're excited about it. And that makes the difference between you standing up at the smart board or the whiteboard, you know, delivering this whole group instruction that all the kids need and them just taking ownership of this student-centered learning. And one of the things we did a whole lot in math too, that like either for their individual work or we would do it as one of the centers is we would literally cut up a worksheet and post like, state like taping up to the wall yep. so the kids had to get up and physically move around for one of their stations yep. and occasionally would even like turn it into a scavenger hunt of would give like the problem for the next question and then they had to go find the answer to that and then do the next problem underneath that so we could turn it kind of into a little bit of game even though they were essentially just doing a worksheet so just kind of easy tweaks like that like you can turn a center or a station into something that the kids are going to enjoy a little more just by doing something simple like cutting up a worksheet yep Love it. And it, it's going to make it so much more student centered. They're going to, it's going to just kind of take the pressure off of the stuff that they need to do. Um, and you always need to hold them accountable. So please do not think that student centers or small group is kind of just free time. It, it's, they need to be held accountable for it. Just like you're held accountable for your SOL scores and you're held accountable for all, everything you do. Um, you need to give them a graphic organizer or some recording sheet where they actually put in their work on the problem and they actually put in what their product was. So you can see, did you guys actually try here? Um, you know, where are you having misconceptions with? Where, where are you having some um, concerns with? You know, what, are, what do we need to go back and fix in our small group or in our whole group? Um, so make sure that they're actually providing you with some form of a response. So just kind of in closing, I know we covered a lot of stuff here and we were probably rambling here at a few points, but just kind of start small. So do small little centers or stations here and there. Mm -hmm. As you get your feet a little more wet and you get a little more comfortable, start kind of adding in those different rotations to your class. 
because the more that kids can be engaged and the more that they can explain their learning, the more they're going to take ownership of and actually start developing that love of learning. So go through and make sure you're modeling everything, make sure you're explaining the directions, and then most importantly, just like have fun with it. Yep. I love it. All right. All right. We'll see you guys for the next podcast then. See you later.